All right, we're in Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9, if you're new or visiting, you're probably thinking, what in the world did I get into? Well, we just believe in the Bible. And uh, we're just, we just go through the Bible verse by verse. So we, we're in Acts chapter 9 this morning. And what we're going to study in our text this morning is that God is going to do a tremendous work in the life of an unbeliever. In the life of an unbeliever. You mean, many times when we read the Bible, we forget that we are reading about ordinary sinners, just like us, who have been saved by the goodness of God's grace, just like us. You see, Saul was a very frustrated religious individual with one purpose in mind at this point of his life. It was to destroy anyone, to destroy anyone who had joined this new Christian faith. He was so incensed with his madness that we were going to see him go to great lengths, even to distant cities, to wipe out Christianity through persecution and even death. Sounds like ISIS. Our spiritual enemy, Lucifer, the devil, Satan, has not changed his tactics. He is still trying to wipe out Christianity, as well as attacking the scientific community about the idea of the fact that a biological father and a biological mother in the home is the most beneficial sociological aspect of every society. The most recent attempt is through same-sex marriage, trying to nullify the best and final authority on the subject of marriage, God's Word. And what's the main verse the Bible, the enemy is attacking? It's Ephesians 5.25. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. That is the most important verse. I encourage you to memorize that verse. Do you see the correlation? Husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church. Every husband, including an atheist, in the spiritual world, you got to think spiritual. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. Every husband in the spiritual world represents Christ. In the spiritual world. And every wife represents the church in the spiritual world. And that's why Satan wants to destroy every single marriage, Christian or not. Also, the scientific study of physiology, only two biological genders specifically, is now being attacked as well as an attempt to nullify God's word. And what's the main verse the enemy is attacking? Genesis 1.27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them. So let's look at our text here in Acts chapter 9, verses 1. Then Saul, came, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul said, 
Who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So Paul, Saul, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Then the Lord said to him, Arise and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no one. Then Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Aeneas, Ananias. And to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. So the Lord said to him, Arise, and go to the street called Straight, and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he is praying. And in a vision he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. And I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight once at once, and he rose and was baptized. So when he had received food, he was strengthened. Then Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. Immediately he preached the Christ in the synagogues, that he is the Son of God. Then all who heard were amazed and said, Is this not he who destroyed those who called on this name in Jerusalem? And has he not come here for that purpose? so they might bring them bound to the chief priest. But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving that this Jesus is the Christ. Well, back in verse 1, then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest. What is the first thing we see about this man Saul here? He was filled with Hatred, hatred that went deep into his soul. This man who was a Pharisee had allowed a very deep fleshly emotion to enter into what the Bible calls his heart. That spiritual place or void that every single person on this earth is trying to find or fill. And if you're here this morning or if maybe you talk to someone this week, you might want to mention this to them. We need to ask ourselves a simple question if that's not a true statement. Why do billions of people seek after making God, big G, or after their own religious God, happy? If there is no God, 
if it's just us Christians that are crazy, what about the 7 billion other people who have gods? Little g. Then everyone's crazy. No, there's a void in our hearts that we try to fill via so many things, and it will never, ever be filled. For thousands of years now, civilizations have known that there is someone beyond this earth, and they've tried various means to sacrifice, of sacrifice, to reach that God. That's what Paul was doing, offering sacrifices, part of the Judaism. The believer, They believe that there is someone who cares about them, someone who would like to have a relationship with them. You see, it started with Adam and Eve, passed down through the centuries orally, then given to mankind via Moses through the written word. Anyone and everyone can have that relationship as King David, the sweet psalmist, explained roughly 3,000 years ago in Psalm 19. Psalm 19, 1 through 4 says, The heavens declare the glory of God. I encourage you to memorize these verses or at least memorize the address when somebody comes to you and says, Well, what about the poor? Well, let's look at what our Bible says. David wrote this 3,000 years ago. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows his handiwork. Day unto day utters speech, and night unto night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. You see, Saul's hatred birthed a deep desire to arrest, torture, and even kill those who left the Jewish faith in order to follow after a man named Jesus, who supposedly had risen from the dead. You see, Saul thought that he was performing a tremendous service for God. He thought this. By destroying these Christians. He literally believed that he was doing the Jewish faith a favor by trying to stamp out this new doctrine. But just as Gamaliel had warned the Sanhedrin back in Acts 5.39, was Saul present when Gamaliel said this? I think he was. He was a Pharisee. I think Saul heard this. Saul was soon going to find out that he himself was fighting against God. Literally fighting against God. And you know, even to this day, God hasn't lost a fight yet. If you're here today and you think you're going to defeat God through your intellect, your finances, your good looks, let me just give you two words to ponder. Good luck. Sooner or later, you're going to realize that you lost the battle. God's love will always win out. Always. Besides hatred, another fleshly emotion called self-righteousness brought further anger upon Saul, which fueled that evil desire for destruction. Let's look at Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. And if you're newer visiting and you don't have a Bible, please grab a Bible in a chair in front of you or ask someone to hand you a Bible. You want to become very familiar with the Word of God, with a Bible. If you're not familiar, don't be ashamed, don't be embarrassed. We always put a slide up. The team does a great job. It shows that little white cross. shows you where you're going to find it in your Bible. Two books before, two books after. So locate Philippians 3, 1 through 10. 
Because years later, Paul's perspective of his own self-righteousness had drastically changed. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the mutilation. For we are the circumcision who worship God in the Spirit. Rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Now this is Paul, again if you're new to Christianity. Paul was Saul. Same man, name transference, but more importantly, he's now being sanctified by the Holy Spirit. And he's acknowledging no confidence in the flesh. Although I might also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks that he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. This guy was a religious zealot. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted lost for Christ, for coming to know Jesus as my Savior. Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ. The third song we sang, I I can't remember the words to it, but the third song that we sang, it's all about Jesus. If we were to lose our whole franchise, but still had Jesus, it is all about Jesus. If we were to lose everything we had, our houses, this church, this building, are we still going to be okay? We're still going to be okay. Because we've got Jesus. They can't take Jesus away. And guys, that's what we need to focus on in these days we're living in. It's going to become more and more relevant to you as we press on. Because Paul says, Yet indeed I also count all things lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, from whom I have suffered the loss of all things. And do what? And count them as rubbish. Rubbish. That word rubbish there is basically a dung pile. A dunghill. It's all, a, it's all a pile of dung. What do you do with dung? You flush it. You take it out to the dung pile. You don't go out to the parking lot and polish your dung. Man, that's a brand new truck. Man, it's beautiful. This is my truck. And everybody sees me coming. This is my dung hill right here. <laughs> Nobody better mess with my dung hill. Just trying to make an example for you all. That's, you know, that's, that's reality. Does that mean we shouldn't take care of things? No, no, no. Come on. Get past that. But be ready to let it go. And be found in Him, not having my own righteousness. Notice here, Paul, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. That the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection. And the fellowship of his sufferings. Not many Christians want to know that in America today. We, we just want the health and wealth. Uh, no, sufferings? No, no, no. That's negative thought. Don't, 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 don't talk to me about that. Positive confession. 
No, that doesn't fly. And the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. You see, it hasn't changed over the years. The tactics of the enemy are the same, just different faces, different names, different packaging, but the same outcome to steal, kill, and destroy. And the enemy of our souls will not be happy until you as a Christian are dead. Where you will not proclaim the name of Jesus. Where you will not take a stand for the Bible. To either compromise, to get lazy, lethargic, don't read your Bible, don't evangelize, don't bless anybody. He'll be quite content with that as well. But ultimately, he wants to kill you. Because you represent God, the image of God, And if you're married, your marriage represents Christ and the church. Satan hates that and wants to destroy that. You see, as Christians, though, we need to be very careful about causes or positions that we take. For if we are not careful, we can find ourselves heading down that same Damascus road. Obviously not physically, doing what Saul did. But going through the motions mentally can be just as dangerous and damaging. Anger can easily develop into bitterness, resentment, and even hatred, which can then lead a person down a road of vengeance, taking matters into their own hands. You might have even heard them say, I've got my anger under control. In reality, it is anger that is the emotion that ends up controlling that person. Let's look at Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. What are we to do in these days we're living in? We're to guard our hearts. We're to guard our hearts. Romans chapter 12. As we see the world coming against Christianity, we're so blessed here in America to still have what we have. There are many brothers and sisters in Christ that are in prison, that are being martyred, that are suffering for Jesus. Romans chapter 12. Repay no evil, no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, notice that, if it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. There is a movement coming upon Christianity that no matter how far you bend over, it's not going to be far enough until you die, until you are out of the way. If you have one ounce of Christianity in your life, it will not be far enough as far as they're concerned. you got to remember, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Satan wants to destroy the church, any resemblance of the church. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Now again, we need to explain this because some people might think, well, that's kind of mean. Basically, in that culture, in that day and age, people had fires in their houses. During the night, if your fire went out, you would go to your neighbor and ask for some coals. So that would be a blessing. Oh yes, I'd love to share my coals with you. And you take some of your coals, give them to your neighbor. They can go over, start their fire, bake, cook, do all those things. So you see, in context, we could look at this and go, man, that sounds really mean. But once you learn the context, you go, oh, I get it. I'm to bless those who come against me. I'm to love those. I'm to pray for those who persecute me. I get it. 
Because he goes on to say, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Overcome means to subdue or conquer. So for us, you and I today, don't be overcome, don't subdue, don't be conquered by evil, but overcome evil with good. And the word good there is useful, useful. Let's look at James chapter 1. James chapter 1, 19 and 20 says this, Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. You must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. If you have an anger issue, I encourage you to memorize verses. And here is a very good verse for you to memorize. I used to have an anger issue. If you have an anger issue, you got to memorize the word of God. you got to sanctify, wash your mind, cleanse your mind. And the word of God is what does that. Verse 20 goes on to say, Human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. And we're seeing this in the life of Saul. Back in Acts chapter 9, And asking letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus so that he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, notice that, male or female, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. You see, Damascus was outside the jurisdiction of the Sanhedrin, so it took these letters of recognition to arrest and extradite someone. The city is approximately 120 miles north of Jerusalem, which would not be an easy trip as you think about this, but it could take up to a week or longer to travel by animal. You see, this shows us not only how much desire Saul had to track these Christians down, but also how much impact the Lord's disciples had on the Jews towards Christianity. Remember the persecution took place and they took off, they spread out? Well, they're up in Damascus. And there's churches up in Damascus. So I've got to go get these Christians up in Damascus, 120 miles away. So again, oftentimes we think of persecution as a bad thing. Persecution is a very good thing. It gets us to move, to move closer to God and to witness for God even more so. Well, we have already read 3 through 21, so let's not do that again. But let's look at Acts chapter 22 and read 1 through 16. Acts chapter 22, 1 through 16. Because Paul, Saul, also known as Paul, shares his testimony two other times. One time before the Jews on the Temple Mount, and another time in front of Agrippa, the Gentiles, in Caesarea. So 22.1, Brethren and fathers, hear my defense before you now. And when they had heard that he spoke to them in the Hebrew language, they kept all the more silent. Then he said, I am indeed a Jew, born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel, taught according to the strictness of our father's law, and was zealous towards God as you are today. I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering into prisons both men and women, as also the high priest bears me witness, and all the Sanhedrin of the elders, from whom I also received letters to the brethren, and went to Damascus to bring in chains, even those who were there to Jerusalem to be punished. Now it happened as I journeyed and came near Damascus at about noon, suddenly a bright light from heaven shone around me, and I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So I answered, Who are you, Lord? 
And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. And those who were with me indeed saw the light and were not afraid, but they did not hear the voice of him who spoke to me. So I said, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, arise and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all things which are appointed for you to do. And since I could not see for the glory of the light, being led by the hand of those who were with me, I came to, into Damascus. Then a certain Ananias, a devout man according to the law, having a full testimony with all, good testimony with all the Jews who dwelt there, came to me and stood and said to me, Brother Saul. I personally believe Saul received Jesus on the road. He said, Who are you, Lord? Not as far as Lord as we think of as our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The word Lord, Master. Well, who are you? Who are you? He didn't know who it was. So that's why he said, Well, who are you? Once he knew it was Jesus, uh-oh, that resurrection stuff is real. And I personally believe he received Jesus at that moment. Again, uh, Ananias here uh, came to me and stood and said to me, Brother Saul, notice Ananias said, Brother, receive your sight. And at that same hour, I looked at him. Then he said, the God of our fathers has chosen you that you should know his will and see the just one and hear the voice of his mouth. For you will be his witness to all men of what you have seen and heard. And now, why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Now, it happened as I was returning to Jerusalem, I was praying in the temple that I was in a trance. Well, that's a different story. So one through one through sixteen there. Now let's look at twenty six, Acts chapter twenty six, and see the other time that Paul shared his testimony. Now Paul instead of Saul. Acts twenty six, nine through eighteen. Nine through eighteen. Indeed, I myself thought I must do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. This I also did in Jerusalem, and many of the saints I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priest, and when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in every synagogue, and compelled them to blaspheme. And being exceedingly enraged against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities." While thus occupied, I, as I journeyed to Damascus with authority and commission from the chief priest, at midday, O king, along the road I saw light from heaven, brighter than the sun, shining around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice speaking to me and saying in the Hebrew language, so we get a little more information, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads, and the goad was a long stick with a sharp on the uh, pointed end, which they, the person who was plowing would take and poke into the uh, butt of the ox to get him to move. So Saul was kicking against the goads. So I said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. You see, when we're persecuted, Jesus takes it personally as Christians. But rise and stand on your feet. For I have appeared to you for this purpose to make you a minister and a witness both of the things which you have seen and of the things which will yet be revealed to you. And I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles to whom I now send you to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan. Notice this. We are all a child of the devil before we come to Christ. We are under his power. 
that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Now jump over to verse 24. So for you and I as Christians, I wanted to read these two testimonies, well we read three, so that two of testimony, but the third one was the actual occurrence, because you have an occurrence of receiving Jesus as your Savior. And I did this on Tuesday night at the men's Bible study. And I asked the guys within two to three minutes, share your testimony. Within two to three minutes, 15, 15 seconds of darkness, because the world understands the darkness. Two to three minutes of what has God done in your life? How has God transformed your life? For everyone in this room, you should know your testimony and you should be able to give it within two to three minutes. What I just read, Paul did that two to three minutes. He just shared his testimony. You should be able to do that. Because in the days we're living in, people need to know, why are you taking a stand? What's the matter with you? Well, I once was in darkness, now I'm in light. That's why. I used to think just like that, and now I don't think like that anymore. Because God's touched my heart. You need to have a testimony. Look at verse 24. Now as he thus made his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are beside yourself. Much learning is driving you mad. But Paul said, I'm not mad. You see, the world's going to say the same thing to you. You Christians, you're just mad. You're crazy. You're the problem. You're as bad as the extremists as in, in Islam. And you just have to remain calm. Tone is very, very important. And I believe Paul said this with much love in his voice. I'm not mad, most noble Festus. But speak the words of truth and what? Reason. What we're hearing today is just, it's like this is absolutely crazy. There's 72 genders now? Are you serious? Reason has gone out the window. For the king before whom I also speak before whom I also speak freely, knows these things. For I am convinced that none of these things escaped his attention since this thing was not done in the corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? You see, that's a good question for us to ask somebody else who's coming against us. Have you read the Bible? No, it's filled with hate. No, it's filled with love. If you haven't read it, How can you proclaim you know something about what you haven't read? Try reading your Bible. And Paul goes on to say, I know that you believe. And notice what happened with this testimony. Then Agrippa said to Paul, You almost persuade me to become a Christian. Almost. What a sad statement. I hope you became a Christian. And Paul said, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me today might become both almost and altogether such as I am, except for these chains. Persecution. It's coming, guys. I know you've heard me say that. But it's coming to a church near you. And I have some inside information that I can't share with you yet, but I'll probably share a month from now or so. That's why I prepare and that's why I teach you and that's why I'm preparing with attorneys to defend our church here. We have eight and a half acres where we probably have four million dollars equity in this place. We have to protect it to the best of our abilities. If God wants to remove it, take it. But I'm going to try to be as wise as a serpent 
and gentle as a dove. And protect this place and protect you to the best of my ability. And I encourage you to do the same with those who are under you, those who you are shepherding, whatever that looks like in your specific life. You see, Saul's testimony of his rebirth was consistent. But his life in Christ would bring drastic personal changes. We're going to see Saul, that persecutor of Christ, was going to become Paul, the preacher of Christ. Saul was the severe judge who would be transformed into Paul, the defender of grace and mercy. Saul, the man filled with intense anger and hatred, was to become Paul, who would bring us a whole chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, which teaches us all about the greatest gift of all, love. Saul, who had tremendous zeal for God and took matters into his own hands, was going to become Paul, who had learned to wait upon the leading of the Holy Spirit. This transformation is nothing short of a miracle, guys. And so I have a question for you. Do you see that miracle happening in your life? I've seen it happen in my life, and I want to continue that to happen till the day I take my last breath, because nobody's arrived. But if you don't believe in miracles, you need to look at your own life because you are a walking miracle because you are on the road to hell and God saved you. You didn't save yourself. God saved you. Before you ever loved God, God loved you and forgave you at the cross. Salvation is the greatest miracle that we have and that we can share with somebody else. The absolute greatest miracle. It didn't happen overnight in the life of Saul. It took years. And so again, do you see a difference in your life between what the world calls the old man, the word calls the old man, versus that new creature in Christ? We're still dragging around the old man, guys. Every one of us. Everyone, we're still dragging it. Till we take our last breath, we're dragging it. But are you seeing more and more of the new creature that God wants you to be? Can you see and give a personal testimony of such change? We'll wrap it up in Acts 9.22. But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving that this Jesus is the anointed one. Again, you might be new to, to Christianity. You might not even be a Christian. Maybe you thought Christ was his last name. It's a title, Jesus the Christ. In the Old Testament, it's the Messiah, the Messiah, the Anointed One. New Testament Greek, Christ, the Anointed One. In both, Messiah, Christ, Messiah, exact same meaning. Son of God, the Anointed One. So how did Saul grow in strength? By teaching the Jews who had the scriptures and knew them quite well, that Jesus was indeed the Christ. So what is our greatest weapon in this fallen world? The word of God, of course. Again, not to bash Chick-fil-A, not to bash the Mormons or to bash Islam or to bash anybody, but to speak the truth in love, as Ephesians tells us to do. To speak the truth in love. And as Paul is pointing people to the scriptures, we need to ask ourselves, can I show someone else via the scriptures why Jesus is God this coming week? Could you do that? And if you honestly can say, no, I can't, then take this as an encouragement. Find the scriptures to do so. 
because we only have so many days and so many more opportunities. Jesus is coming back for his bride, the church, in an exact second. I personally don't think it's far away. I'm planning for distance, but I don't think it's far away. First Peter, we'll wrap it up with these verses. First Peter 3.15 But sanctify the Lord God in your heart, which we've already read today, but I wanted to wrap it up again. And always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. You see, Paul was called before very important people. And he had a reason for the hope. The word of God. The word of God. The word of God. Which has not changed. Guys, we have the word of God. Let's use it this week. Father, we thank you and praise you for allowing us the opportunity to have the word of God. For there are many, many people that do not have a Bible, let alone three or four or five. They do not have a whole Bible. They might not even have all of the New Testament. They might just have some portions of scriptures. And they cleave to them. They love them. They are ready to die for them as believers. Father, may we in America here who have so much comfort, so much ease, may we see the bigger spiritual attack that is taking place on our culture, on our lives as adults, on our corporations, on our children. May we see the bigger picture And get on our knees and stand in the gap, as your word says to do. To be in prayer. To be available, to be used by you for your purposes. For maybe that one person at the store this week. That one person that needs to know more. That needs to have the word of God planted or watered or fertilized in their life. Or maybe that one person that would look at us and say, yes, I will receive Jesus right now. God, we know we're to be responsible. We all know that. But Father, help us not to forget and neglect the other responsibility that we have. That we are ambassadors for Christ. That we have the blessed feet of the gospel to take to a dying world. Use us this week for your glory, Father. And Lord, we do pray for corporations and We pray for our president. We pray for the governor. And we pray for our city council. We pray specifically for our brothers and sisters in Christ around these people. That you would fill them with boldness. That they would proclaim Jesus just as Daniel did. That they would not shy away. Even if it means losing their position. But they will proclaim Jesus to these men and women who are dying and going to hell. Use us this week, Father, in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Let's stand, guys. If you need prayer, please come up. I'd love to pray for you. Have a blessed week. Have a very happy Thanksgiving, guys. God bless you. If you need prayer for anything, please come up.